you to speak up here. If you could turn with me to Deuteronomy 8, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy 8 tonight. Turn with me there. And then you can give me your eyes with your mask and everything when you're, when you're there, when I know it. I can see your eyes, Luke. Cool. Deuteronomy 8 is the passage we're going to be looking into tonight. But before we get there, I had a question for you guys. Question for everyone that's watching or in the room presently. When you think of a Christian, what does the world think of a Christian in regards to blessings? Blessings. Let's take a step back. I said, what do the world think about Christians in regard to blessings? I would just say, actually, let's take a step back and say, what does the world think about what blessings look like? Feel free to shout it out there. We have some being rich. Powerful. It doesn't have to be money. It can be a sense of purpose or fulfillment in satisfaction. Oh, look at that combo. Teamwork right there. Satisfaction and satisfaction. Fulfillment. Security. Happiness. Security. Can you guys give me a little more specifics on what Happiness and what? Security and what? Satisfaction and what? Uh, social satisfaction, like, okay. What else? Being popular, being the in crowd. What else? Blessings. Okay, nice car, nice whip, nice ride. What else? You guys sharing food over there. What, what did you guys think about worldly blessings? Mm -hmm. Money, we have that, being rich. What else? People, okay, the social recognition. Sorry? What, do, what does the world think, Christian, when they look at a Christian, maybe they haven't read the Bible, been to church, what do they think of Christians? Yes. Okay, everyone's the same. Get into heaven by being nice. What else? 
What does a blessed Christian look like from the world? No, no worry. Okay, good. What up? Any other thoughts? Or maybe another way to think about it too is when people come into becoming Christians, what are some um, wrong perceptions that they get into in regards to being a Christian? Life is going to be all this when I become a Christian. Easy. What do you mean by prosperity gospel? If you guys didn't hear that, P was saying prosperity gospel, and some people who might think that if you become a Christian, you read the Bible, we'll go to church, you'll be rich. There's other ideas that come alongside with that too, in the sense of there's not going to be any pain, no suffering, no issues, no hardships. And I, I think getting into our passage for tonight, some people, whether it be from the world or those who are looking to be Christians, they're thinking, they're thinking that they're going to be Christians because they're going to get, get all these things or have a blessed life in the sense of no problems, no worries, no issues, no trials, no difficulties. But in the passage that we're looking into today, and just even in our own spheres as people we know from our family members being Christians, friends, um, whoever it may be. Christianity doesn't mean that there's going to be no trials, no dramas, no issues. Uh, that this is, quote unquote, the blessed life as a Christian. As a life in general, we know, is going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. There's going to be trials. There's going to be hardships and difficulties. And how much more so, even as a Christian, Right. So we're going to look at Deuteronomy 8. And I'm going to read for us. It's going to be a long passage, 1 to 16. 1 to 16. But we're going to be focusing on tonight's so 1 to 5. But I'll read for us the whole passage from 1 to 16. Deuteronomy 8, verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know that what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. 
and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man dis disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land and a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and the hills, and a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, and a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron, out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Verse 11. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do, to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after God and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, you shall surely perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Let me pray for us and then we'll begin the passage. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you. Uh, how your word teaches us, trains us, prepares us, and makes us more like Christ. Help us to uh, learn, help us to grow, and help us to be benefited from what we hear tonight. And I pray that the items that, um, things that are not beneficial would be forgotten and be removed. May you bless the time that we spend this evening looking into Deuteronomy 8, learning about being in the wilderness, being tested, being disciplined. And it's not because you don't love us. It's because you love us and you care for us. And you want us to be more and more like Christ. And you use the times in the wilderness to make us more like Christ. So help us to um, learn that this evening. And may you bless the time that we have together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I forget, Matthew, help me with this real quick. Matthew's just helping me pass out some discussion questions to the small group leaders. Small group leaders, feel free to review through those uh, as I'm going through the message, and hopefully that would be helpful for discussions tonight. So the title of the message is Not by Bread Alone in Deuteronomy 8, and there's basically three things I'm going to be focusing in on. We're going to be talking specifically about how we can't survive without the wilderness. We need the wilderness in our lives as Christians. Second point is, we can't survive in the wilderness. And third point is, therefore, we've only got one hope. So the first point is, we can't survive without the wilderness. We can't survive in the wilderness. 
and we've only got one hope. So when we're looking at the book of Deuteronomy, uh, it's a series of sermons preached by Moses before he dies. And the subject is having the experience of salvation and grace of God. And it's teaching us how we should be living, having experienced the grace and salvation of God in our lives. And how it's concretely going to be impacting us and shaping our lives. So it's a very practical book. And specifically, what we're going to be focusing in on in regards to the practicalness of it is how you handle suffering, pain, grief, difficulty. How do you handle suffering, pain, grief, and difficulty in the passage from what we're going to be focusing in on from Deuteronomy 8? So just to give you a little context of the wilderness, Israel has spent 40 years in the desert wilderness and the place where it's devastating heat during the day and there's no shade from it. And there's devastatingly cold at night. And there's no shelter from that. There's nothing to eat but thorns and thirst. There's venomous snakes and scorpions trying to kill you. It's cold at night. It's hot without any shade. And I was thinking, it's like, if you think about going to having a beach hangout without any parent involvement, that sort of would be like the wilderness. Track with me a little bit. Your parents are the ones who probably prepare all the food, the snacks, the marshmallows, the fire, the wood, the tent. Imagine if you had nothing and you just showed up with your friends to the beach. Hey, we're going to have a beach hangout this weekend. Come, come at 2 p.m. Let's go. What do you need to bring? I don't know. Just, just come along. And you go there and you don't have a place where you're going to do the s'mores afterwards. You don't have a place where you can uh, hang out after going to the ocean. You don't have any food to eat, you're going to be starving. It's going to be hot, especially now. It's like 95, close to 100, and it's going to be hot out there. And it's all just desert, desolate, without any help. So I sort of imagine a very extreme wilderness uh, that we're seeing in Deuteronomy as like a beach hangout without any parent, parental help, any parental preparation. You're just going out there with heat and super cold at night because you forgot to bring a towel, uh, there's no wood, nothing, nothing. Well, the word wilderness, going back to our passage today, means uninhabitable place. And that's what you'll see uh, in verse, verses like two and four. The whole passage is about this uninhabitable place in the wilderness. You can't live in it. It will kill you unless you get some kind of miraculous outside divine help. It will kill you without any miraculous outside divine help. It's not that there's no water in the desert, but the water that's in the desert, it's not sufficient. Right? The wells and the groundwaters of the wells aren't deep enough. They aren't great enough to be able to support all the people, especially the people of God who were traveling through the wilderness during the 40 years they were there. That's why you see in passage of verse 4 that it says, the people of Israel hungered and fed, but were fed with manna. And they were fed with the water that was broken out of the rock. And so it's very interesting to say, okay, that's cool. It's good to know. Historically speaking, Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. But what does this have to do with us? Why does it matter to us? How is that applicable to us? And 
very interesting that you'll see in Hebrews 3 and 4, but even more specifically, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. Turn with me there. And when you're there, feel please look up so I know that you're ready and prepared in that way. 1 Corinthians 10, 1. I'm going to read first, first Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10, 1-6. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and into the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Verse 6. Now these things took place as an example for us, the people Paul's writing to in Corinthians, and for us now reading it. Now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So although when we're going back to Deuteronomy 8 and understanding this context of being in the wilderness and saying, okay, that's somewhere out there, but how is that applicable to us these days? We see that in Hebrews Hebrews 3 and 4, and like we just read in 1 Corinthians 10, it's applicable even into the New Testament. And it's applicable to us Christians who are reading it now. We understand that Israelites were physically in the wilderness, traveling there for 40 years. But now for us who read this as an example for us to learn and grow and not make the same mistakes, we're in this spiritual wilderness. This world that we're living is and could be considered our spiritual wilderness, spiritual wilderness. And the Bible just talks about how we're in this wilderness, and we're always in this wilderness. And we find out through the passage that we can't survive. We're told in the Bible about a wilderness, though. We can't survive without the wilderness. So that's the understanding of the wilderness, how it's, Old Testament wilderness is the same as the New Testament wilderness, and how is that applicable now? And we also find that in the wilderness, in the Old Testament, there were famous people that met God in the wilderness. And what do I mean by famous people that met God in the wilderness? You see that people who met God in the wilderness, like Jacob, he has two great encounters with God. He's the stairway to heaven, and then also the wrestling with God in the desert wilderness. Moses in Exodus 3 has his two big encounters with God with the burning bush and then on Mount Sinai in the desert wilderness. Hagar meets God in the desert. In the desert. Elijah meet, meets God in the wilderness. Israel is taken into the wilderness to Mount Sinai. And even John the Baptist. John the Baptist begins his ministry and goes into the wilderness to preach and minister. So you see that all these people with their encounters with God is met in the wilderness. So, so in order to hear him, you had to go into the wilderness is what you experience with John the Baptist. And what we see from these examples is that when you encounter God, these examples are found, was found in the wilderness. So those are some examples of people who met God in the wilderness. 
So why, so we're, we're learning about, okay, the wilderness is applicable to us today. We, we see that there are people who met God in the wilderness, those encounters with God, and they learn from those encounters. But also, what's the importance? Why is there a wilderness? And we see that in our passage in, in verse 5, and verse 4 and 5. 4 talks about your clothing did not wear out on, your, on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Verse 5, know that in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So there's an aspect of testing and discipline that we find in the wilderness. And this is a contrast to what we hear about from the American gospel or the prosperity gospel of people talking about if you believe in Jesus or if you donate or you um, give money to this church, you will have a blessed life. You will drive these nice fancy cars. You'll live in these great homes, fly these nice jet planes. You'll eat everything that you want to do. Life will be great. Life will be prosperous. But instead, we see that there's testing, there's discipline in the wilderness. And, and it's very interesting, when we, when we hear the word test, what comes to mind? Especially with us being in school and things like that. When you hear the word test, what comes to mind? Yes. Okay, challenge whether or not you learn something or not. Okay, good. What other things that comes to mind when you think about test? A grade pass, fail, a letter grade, whether you be an A or an, any other letter, what other things come to mind for a test? Stress, what do you mean by that? What, what's stressful about a test? Mm-hmm, usually hard, and, okay. Mm, okay, because you can get, it could be causing you headaches from having to prepare for it and, and th different things like that. Yeah. yeah, we think of a test, like some of you mentioned in regards to the stress, the grade, learning and understanding, but oftentimes what we see is that we're trying to understand if you take this test, who will be on this certain level or certain grade? And those people who can't live up to the test standards it's almost they fail the test or they get a bad grade. But in that regard, what we see in our scripture or passage tonight, the testing of God isn't meant to try to decipher who are the good Christians, who are the bad Christians, who are the Christians that God loves more and the Christians that God doesn't love as much. And so those he doesn't love as much, he's going to test, he's going to put through a trial, he's going to discipline or he's going to put them through difficult situations, but in, rather we understand that through the test, through God's test, he's training us, he's teaching us. And we see that um, in verse 2. You shall remember the Lord, the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years and it was that he might humble you, testing you to know that what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. 
And, and it's really interesting. As, as a parent with Theo and Lillian, we, I give, for spe specifically Theo, because I know there's certain weaknesses that he needs to grow in, whether it be his manners, or the way he treats his sibling, treats Lillian. There's certain things I want to put in his life to be better, to sort of test him, because I know there's weakness there, and I want to sharpen him and, and train him. So I'm using it from the aspect of testing as a means of growing him and making him better and, and stronger and, and more proficient in the areas that he's weak in. And we also see that in the word of God, that testing that is put into your life isn't meant to try to, again, make you feel that God doesn't love you, but in rather he's testing you or disciplining you because he, know, he does love you. And we see that also in the New Testament. Turn with me to Hebrews. Hebrews 4. I'm sorry, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 7. Hebrews 12, verse 7. Hebrews 12, verse 7 says, It is for the discipline that you have endured, have to endure. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated in, then you are ill, in which you all have participated, then you are all illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who had disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to, to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We see that in Hebrews 12. We also see that in Romans 5. Turn with me to Romans 5 as well. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God love, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So we see that discipline and testing from God is not meant to shame us, but in reality, it's to show his love and understand that there are areas of weakness in our lives for us to be able to grow in. So we've talked a good amount in this, the first paragraph of we can't survive in the wilderness. We talked about the the wilderness in the Old Testament, how it's the same wilderness in the New Testament in a spiritual way. Famous people have met God in the wilderness. Why is there a wilderness for the testing and discipline? 
we're going to touch briefly in regards to we can't survive in the wilderness. The second point, we can't survive in the wilderness. And so people who, who read this passage and understand that, okay, so there's going to be testing, there's going to be trials, there's going to be difficulties in our lives, so I'm just prepared now. I'm prepared. I'm prepared to be able to fulfill all the rules and responsibilities and the obligations I, that I may have. And it's very interesting because people think that they're able to fulfill, in some ways, the law of God. And, and that's likened to uh, the rich young ruler in Mark 10, 17. All right, rich, rich young ruler in Mark 10, 17. I'm going to read that for us. Mark 10, 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, he's asking to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, this is a rich young man. Teacher, I've, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So many people can try to prepare, understanding that, okay, this life, I just need to fulfill the the Ten Commandments. I need to be prepared for all these trials, these testings and disciplines uh, that might come from the world, that ultimately will come from God. I'll be ready and be able to do it. But even in this confrontation between the rich young man and Jesus. Jesus was able to point out to them that the rich man, young man thought he was able to fulfill all those commands, but Jesus was able to look deeper into his heart, into his soul to know that he did not. And he, he had convicted him, like we see in verse 21 and 22, to a point where he was dis disheartened because the rich young man knew that he had so many possessions, so much, and he wouldn't want to give that up. And so we can't survive in the wilderness thinking that we can just be mentally prepared or we have all these examples and we can just live that out in that way. Some other people also think of being in the wilderness is like Jesus and his example. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was going to church. He was being in the church at a young age. He had made all these miracles. He had healed. He had served and then died on the cross and rose again. But some people go all the way up to, okay, I got to be a good person. I got to live like Jesus did. And then I think that example is what I need to follow. Instead of seeing that Jesus' life, Jesus, his, his life was an example not to follow, but to be able to be able to have our hope in, which transitions to our third point, that we only have our hope. Our hope is not being able to survive and be prepared and have all these experiences, uh, thinking that we have all together. Our only hope, our only hope is in Jesus. It's interesting, if you turn to the New Testament in John 1, right, we see, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we find out, who is this Word, right? All things were made through him, and without him, was not anything made that was, that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. There was a man, oh, I'm sorry, verse 14, John 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we find out that this word from John 1 is Jesus, Jesus who's come to the flesh. And it's very interesting, right? I, I mentioned all those people who met God in the wilderness, but you see also, if you turn with me uh, to Matthew 4, Matthew 4. Turn with me to Matthew 4. Right before chapter 4. In Matthew 3, verse 16. Matthew 3, verse 16, going into Matthew 4. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately when he went up from the water... And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest to him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So this, the Spirit of God came and acknowledged that Jesus is the Son of God. You would think having that acknowledgement, having that privilege, everything should be going well, right? He should have all these worldly, spiritual, all these blessings. But in chapter 4, what do we see? Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I've been reading uh, in my personal time in John. Um, I know we're going back and forth in the, the Gospels and the New Testament. But when you look at John 6, that, that title is chaptered, um, Jesus Feeds the 5,000. And then later, after he feeds the 5,000, he goes across, an, he goes on water and goes to a different part of the area. And in John 6, verse 22, that the crowd saw that they were gone. And so, and they were on the other side of the sea. And so what they did was they all got on the boat and tried to follow after Jesus. Um, and so in verse 25, when they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs of me feeding the 5,000 with all the food, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, you do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give, you, give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And then they keep going, verse 28. What must we do to be doing the works of God? This is the work of God in verse 29, Jesus answers them. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And then we, we see... In verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that the 
this is the will of God, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise them up on the last day. So we see that in the wilderness, the example of Jesus being in the wilderness, being tempted, and when Satan tempted him, he said that man shall not live by bread alone, right? Man shall live by the word of God that provides eternal life. Man shall live on Jesus, right? That's what we see in John 6. And people are all grumbling and confused talking what Jesus is talking about there. We see that in this passage from Deuteronomy 8 and all the different parallel passages that support that in the, in the New Testament from the Gospels that we're reading through in Hebrews, that Jesus is the one who we can come to, that Jesus was the one who experienced the ultimate wilderness right, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we, he, we can rely upon him because he lived that perfect life and he died on the cross and rose again so that we can have a relationship with him, so that we can go to him with faith and believe and have eternal life. So Jesus is our bread of life. Jesus is the, is the one who we can come to and be satisfied in that way. So from our passage today, we understand that we can't survive without the wilderness. We can't survive in the wilderness. And therefore, we only have one hope. And our only hope is the word of eternal life, who is Jesus himself. Pray with me as we conclude our time. Father in heaven, we thank you that Jesus is our, our true and everlasting bread that we can feast on and never go hungry and never thirst, knowing that he satisfied, not only satisfied our earthly or material needs, but he satisfied, most importantly, our spiritual need, our need to be right with you. He lived that perfect life and died the death he did not deserve. He died it in payment for us, for us to be bought into your family, be adopted as children, as sons and daughters, so that we can be tested, be molded in the wilderness. We can be disciplined knowing that it's not for, um, not because you don't love us, but because you do love us, you care for us. You, you care for us so much that you want us uh, to go through these challenges, challenges and difficulties in our lives to make us depend on you all the more. So we pray, Father, that you would be able to use um, your word to be able to um, convict our hearts to live uh, not in fear of pain and suffering and trials, but to be able to come to you, depending upon you during these um, trials, to know that you are with us, you care for us, you love us, and that perfect example is in Christ. Help us and be with us in our small group time. Um, and may bless the rest of the time that we do have together tonight. We love you. Thank you for first loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed to break up into your small groups now.